Welcome everybody to this afternoon's Live Longer, the podcast. And today I have a fascinating guest. She's a bath artist. I've known her personally for almost a decade now, and she truly is one of life's most inspirational, funny, beautiful, warm characters. And that is reflected in her work. She started off life and having attended boarding school, decided she'd had enough of formal education and headed to the West End where she worked in theatre, film, script writing, had a very exciting career. And she's carried that over into her work, this sense of drama, excitement and film and colour. She's funny and glamorous and a lot of her work is also a nod to current events. She's even had a painting um, on Bridgerton, which I think we'll have to discuss during the podcast, produced of late. Her art career came much later in life and I was amazed to hear that just 15 years ago she set herself up in Bath as an artist. But her work certainly breeds life into the community. It's uplifting. And she kindly sent me many testimonials to read over in preparation for this podcast. And as I was reading through, I could resonate with each and every one of them. And one in particular caught my eye. And I'll just read over what this said. And it said, quite simply, it would be a joy to have one of her beautiful paintings shine a light on any corner of your life. And then I looked down and I realised that was myself. Yes, I do indeed own several of Emma's beautiful pieces. So join me in welcoming Emma Rose. Welcome, Emma. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I've never heard such wonderful words. Thank you very much, Millicent. <laughs> well, it is just lovely to have you here. And I know we're going to have lots of fun and a giggle or two this afternoon, which I'm going to tell my post-production engineers not to edit out. It would take all the joy away. <laughs> okay, that sounds good. <laughs> I thought that we would start off and one of the, the reasons that I'm doing this podcast, of course, is in collaboration with Homerton Changemakers. And, and Changemakers is a very important programme to um, train the leaders of the future in complexity and all of the issues that face us. And um, I'm a Homerton Changemaker ambassador and I'm particularly interested in how art can enable people live longer, healthier lives. And that's the reason for having this podcast series to talk about the art of healthy longevity. So I thought just to start off, you know, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about what inspires you to paint. What's behind all these wonderful paintings? Ooh, what inspires me to paint? Um, I sometimes um, freak slightly at that question because I, I don't really know half the time. Um, mostly, I would say the natural world. I mean, everything out there is utterly stunning if you study it. I've got this beautiful book I picked up in the south of France um, uh, all about tree bark. I can't understand a word of it, but I look at the pictures and I'm just bowled over. So there's sort of bark and there's rust. There's beauty just sitting anywhere you want to look. But equally, I think my background in theatre and film, etc., I'm kind of drawn to the theatricality of things. And then probably lastly, travel. I have travelled quite a lot in my time. And like I'm staring right, I'm in the studio right now. I'm staring at one of my paintings called hibiscus and that takes me right back to when I was in Costa Rica and we were surrounded by hibiscus and hummingbirds and I couldn't get it out of my head and um and then I painted it and then I added 
all sorts of gold and copper and silver leaf on top of the hibiscus. And it's kind of sensational. I don't know. Mostly I'm with landscapes, sea, I adore the sky. So it's all around natural things. I don't paint people. I don't paint dogs or buildings, really. But you are very good at painting, you know, landscape scenes in response to the environment. I mean, the first painting that I got from you was called Floodplains. Do you remember that? And I came to your studio and we were chatting about something unrelated um, to that particular painting. And I had my little girl with me who was about to do her Holy Communion. And she looked at your painting and she said, Mummy, when I see that, I think I'm in heaven. Do you remember that, Emma? do I remember her mostly because she is gorgeous I do remember that and yes you're right a lot of the landscapes are in response to to think yeah that was the time it was all flooding wasn't it it was indeed the Somerset levels yes and yeah you're quite right I do respond to that and then I've got a lovely painting uh, it's a print now um murmuration I remember listening I listened to a lot of radio four and there was a program about murmuration and I hadn't really heard of that before but it's when all the birds fly together in spring or autumn and just because I was listening to that on the radio I don't know what I was painting but it suddenly turned into a murmuration so yes it's quite good you could you could drip feed me stuff on on the telephone or on the radio and I'll start painting it <laughs> it's a cheap way to do a commission <laughs> very good well now that we're talking about radio or television we um i was in preparation when we were chatting you were telling me about this painting that was inspired by bridgerton so you know of course bridgerton has lifted the soul of the nation during lockdown <laughs> and you capture that wonderfully i just wonder would you you tell our listeners a little bit about that and the colors and and what it meant to you as you were painting that it's it's fun and you're so kind. I um well we uh yes, like everything everyone, I think we binge watched Bridgerton and it was an absolute delight. And more so for us, I think, because we live near Bath and of course they film most of it in Bath, pretending to be London. Anyway, I came back into the studio and I wasn't thinking about doing a painting of Bridgerton at all. I just I often just start seeing what happens. And I had a canvas and a while later I look at what I've done and I think, good God, that is literally the abstracted essence of this show because it's the background is that pale kind of duck egg blue, which the Duchess of Hastings wore all the time. Every episode she was in blue. And then on top of that, I've lay layered this amazing kind of tortoiseshell gold leaf which is very much the duke of hastings and then there's other vibrant colors you know there was a lot of brocade there there were exquisite colors in the building i don't know it's an abstract piece go onto my website and have a look there's the original there there's a print of it there's even a cushion of it well there's a funny story about that cushion isn't there not to cut across yes. you do tell us that because I think laughter and fun is very much a part of us living longer healthier lives and this is a fun story but there is no um, punchline to the story yet. But literally a couple of weeks ago, um, we were watching the Graham Norton show. And there was that gorgeous male star of Bridgerton, Roger Jean Page, I think his name is. Correct. Anyway, blew me down. He said, my cushions are all really tatty and I need to replace them. And I turned off the telly later and I thought, good God, he wants a cushion. And I actually have a cushion <laughs> called 
Bridgerton. <laughs> so I went online and I just typed in who is his agent and I wrote to them and I got a charming letter back because in the letter I was, I tried to say, look, I'm not a nutty fan, stalker fan. I am a proper artist. And it, it just struck me as quite extraordinary. He needs cushions and I've got some. <laughs> and bless her. She said, no, no, that sounds great. I will pass this on to him. So I am now waiting with bated breath to see if he buys one. Well, if the Duke of Hastings happens to be tuning in to live long with the podcast, I'm sure the orders will flood in for those beautiful cushions. <laughs> but comfort is important in life and it does nurture us. And, and other things that nurture us, you know, on the Bridgerton theme, but on a slightly more serious note, is, is love. And you had a, a stunning piece with a heart that I noticed that that also had a, a film theme to it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? What was it called? Uh, <laughs> Be Still My Beating um, Heart? Yes, I I recently did a charming little painting. Oh, yes, it was called Be Still My Beating Heart. And the background was quite ragged really with lots of different layers of paints and gold leaf and stuff I don't use gold leaf in everything by the way I'm just on a kind of thing with it at the moment but and then I on top of that I'd done a very very textured sort of shape of a heart but it was quite bruised there was age to it there was wear and tear it wasn't you know a hallmark mark card sort of heart anyway I put it up for sale on my website and Blow me down that two seconds later it was sold. And I thought, golly, who's who's bought that? Anyway, I have to say it was my a very dear old friend of mine who bought it, but who happens to be Hugh Bonneville, the actor. So that's really thrilling. And he bought it for his wife for Valentine's Day. And so I did a special inscription on the back and she was over the moon. And he said, My God, I got a lot of pearly points for that. Well, he certainly has now. Every woman in the country will be on to Hugh. And he was so generous because we did get permission to enable us to mention this story on air. So we're very grateful to Mr. Bonneville for that. He did. He's a sweetie. Yeah. And we all love Downton Abbey. So um, wonderful. You know, moving on to some slightly um, more serious themes now, I wanted to touch a little bit on, you know, how art and medicine interact. And one of the first times that I interacted with you and your work was when you yourself had, had developed a, a medical problem with your joints, having been painting for too long, actually, ironically. And you painted your way out of that and you did this stunning piece that um, you named Millicent's Milieu. I, I wonder, would you like to talk us through that painting and the little story behind that? <laughs> well, it is a rather wonderful story, this. Um, you are quite right. I was doing one of the, um, the public sculpture trails and I had been inside a sculpture of a swan for about seven weeks doing hundreds of millions of colours on top of it for this big charity auction. And I realised by the end of it, my back was completely twisted. And that is when I met you and in your medical capacity. And off I went for the MRI scan. And that was an extraordinary experience, as anyone who's had one will know. And I came back and out of nowhere, I painted this quite bonkers painting I must admit and it was literally everything I was feeling inside the MRI scan and it was nerve endings and my spine and it was very unusual colours kind of fleshy colours and deep 
purpley bruising uh, and very abstract and um Yes, I told you about it. <laughs> you did. And then what happened? You have to tell the rest of the story. <laughs> well, I'll have to continue the story a little bit here. And so you, Emma, called me up and you said, it's wonderful. I'm cured. It's fantastic. I woke up a few days later and I painted all throughout the night and I have this wonderful painting and it's for you. And I said, wow, that's amazing. And you said to me, now, you can't have it. You have to make me an offer, but it can be for 10p or 20p or a pound or £10,000. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do here? <laughs> and you sent me a picture of this wonderful painting and you said, and it also has to sit in your office. And so uh, where I practice, there's no external artwork usually allowed. So I thought, oh, my goodness, this is a terrible challenge altogether because I don't want to offend Emma and yet I don't know what to do. So I spoke to a lovely friend of mine and we were chatting and he, he collects art and I said, well, what, what, what shall I do? And he said, let me think about it. And about a week later, you wrote me up and you said, I have your painting. And, and I said, <laughs> oh, goodness. I, and I haven't thought about it yet. And you said, there's nothing to think about. It's yours. And this wonderful <laughs> friend of mine had purchased it on one condition that nobody ever knew what he paid for it. And so it was mine. And I brought it to London and I thought, how am I going to get it into the clinic? And I was walking down Devonshire Street and I thought, well, if the wind blows close to one direction, I'll, I'll go to the clinic. And if not, I'll go to the flat. And it blew closer to the, uh, the <laughs> clinic. And who did I bump into? Only the chief operating officer, Neil Buckley. And he loved the painting. And so that was the end. He let me put it up. And it has been a source of major inspiration to people. They, they either love or hate it. Most people find it very intriguing and they see beyond pain. And it does help people see beyond pain when they look at an artist's expression of getting rid of pain from the body. So you, you have touched many, many people through your artwork, whether you know it or not, Emma. I love that. I love that story. Mm. I didn't know the whole of it until we, we touched base yesterday before this interview. I, it's, it's complete now. It is not a particularly beautiful painting, but it is very much from pain and coming out of pain. So I'm glad people can look at it and kind of have a, an understanding response to it. Yes, it is different from your normal works. And and when we were talking about this yesterday, you then told me another story, which was completely separate to anything I had ever known about you, but that, that you had painted these wonderful globes having sort of a, a near death experience. Can you tell us about the globes and just what you were feeling at the time? Well, it, um, this is about three and a half years ago and it doesn't matter about the details, but I did very nearly die and I was very ill for a long quite a long time and when I got better I, mean, I couldn't work for nearly six months um, and I come, came back into the studio and I just had this overwhelming desire to put down on canvas what I'd seen so basically I think when I was hovering between life and death all I could see was the earth I was floating high I was looking down at the earth but I kept seeing it in different guises and so when I started painting, I produced six giant globes, but each one completely different. So one of them, you're looking down on the rainforests. One of them, you're looking down on the icy wastes. Another one, you're looking down on the desert. They're quite something, actually. I mean, what I really wanted was someone to buy all six of them. And I nearly had someone do it. 
But actually, it worked rather beautifully because in the end, I think I sold three to someone and then the other three I gave away to um, godchildren, having slightly tweaked them to be more pertinent to them. But they were very dramatic, the six of them, and a lot of people were quite unnerved to know the background of them. So that was a kind of a, a mixed blessing. But I had to get it out of my system. Interesting. Then I could walk away from that experience of nearly not being here anymore. Do you think you you sort of painted your way into healing yourself almost? Well, the emotional burden of, of that trauma must have been horrendous. And do you think this release of emotion was through the paint on the canvas? I think it helped because apparently I got PTSD afterwards and I was really quite ill as well as being ill, ill, and then got that afterwards as well. And I do remember having completed the six globes, it was as if a trap opened and I stepped out of the trap. And then I, then I could go back to painting what I wanted, when I wanted, of any shape or form. But I certainly had to get those globes out of me. Interesting. So, yeah, it did. It opened because sometimes I suppose it's like there's also an element of writer's block sometimes. Sometimes you just can't paint. Well, I was too ill to paint for a long time and then and then yeah then it opened it up so yes those yes extraordinary really but mood really affects me I'm staring right now at a painting that I did a few weeks ago when I was feeling particularly low with some bad news and covid talk and everything and it's called light through darkness I'm looking at it now and it's so different because normally I normally do quite colorful things and this is quite austere but there's a sense of hope about it because there is light it's like light at the end of the tunnel is this light after darkness of the pandemic and lockdown yes but there's a lovely accompaniment to that called spring is coming you were telling me yesterday i know i that's so beautiful i did this bleak 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 dark one. Yes. And then I suddenly felt a lot better and the sun came out and my mother got better from falling over and also, also things seemed a bit better. And I did another painting, Spring is Coming. It's very abstract and just beautiful, uplifting colours. And that just came completely out of the mood. So I'm not, I'm not an artist who goes, right, I am painting Westminster Bridge today or that Spaniel. I don't, half the time, I don't know what's going to happen. It's quite exciting. <laughs> Well, that is exciting. And you seem to be able to paint your way out of feeling low and also feeling ill and to good health. And But you also help other people because shortly after we were talking about, you know, light through darkness, you told me about a, another wonderful painting, Into the Unknown, where you had painted this, I think it was a, a sea, sea scene and it provoked a, a very amazing response from one of your trusted customers who, who purchased it. No, it wasn't a trusted customer. It was a, it more or less a stranger. I mean, I kind of, I've met her once. That was the extraordinary part of it. I, I, yes, I'd done this painting. Um, like many of my paintings, it, it was quite ambiguous to what it actually was. You know, it could have been water. It could have been something else. I mean, in my own head, it was water, not necessarily the sea but very restful, extraordinary colours with a slight ambience of hope about them. Um, it wasn't very austere, but there were dark, murky, kind of um, underwatery, browny sort of colours at the bottom of it. Anyway, this lady wrote to me and said, oh my goodness, I, this 
this looks this reminds me of where I scattered my father's ashes in the water and it's it's you know it's completely resonated with me and I basically she just had to have it and she bought it sight unseen quite a lot of money and then and then I sent it to her and then she wrote me to me straight away and it arrived saying I'm it's lovely I love it I love it I love it and uh, it's just amazing and and I've had another letter since actually Again, just saying how much it's meant to her because it's brought her father completely back to her, but in a very hopeful, happy kind of way. That's extraordinary. I do find with my paintings that sometimes they wait for a while before they're sold. And then I think, why is that not one sold? Because it's amazing. And then the person comes who wants to buy it. And you think, oh, my God, it has completely waited for you because there's a personal connection it was meant to be. Yeah, there is. I'm not someone who just churns them out all the time. They're they're very individual, and there's a lot goes into them. And I think sometimes, yeah, they just got to wait, and then you think, oh yes. <laughs> well, I think there's so many people because there has been so much sadness and tragedy over the course of the last year that hopefully we can lift the hearts of many people who are li listening today and they might see beauty and art they have around in the house or look out the window. And, and that's one of the, the aims of this. But if you're not a talented, fantastic artist like you are, what can the <laughs> ordinary person do who can't draw a straight line? And there's many of us out there you, you told me a little secret about what you did with your own house. And, and I thought that would be really interesting to share with our listeners today because you don't have to be Michelangelo to benefit from art. Tell us. <laughs> what are you talking about? The kitchen? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, oh, I don't know. We were feeling miserable and I, I decided that we needed more colour in our lives because I am convinced, absolutely convinced that colour is the basis of great mental health of all sorts and so um we marched out in our covid masks and bought a huge vat of bright pink magenta paint and we've transformed one end of our kitchen i have to say it looks amazing and then on the strength of that got completely carried away and bought what i thought was going to be the most delicious oranges and aquamarines and all sorts of colors to go up our banisters and up our stairs to reflect all the different paintings we've got up there i mean it's my husband and my youngest daughter we were painting all weekend and thrilled with the kitchen we <laughs> stepped back from the banisters and it's absolutely vile it looks like easy jet <laughs> porch lounge or something i think i said to you it's <laughs> But the point is, we were having a go, and the, the good thing is the basis of the colour is there, and I will certainly tweak that afterwards, and it will be a thing of beauty. But, um, but I, I honestly, anyone out there, get, just give it a go. You do not have to be talented at all to reap the benefits of just having a bash, and it doesn't matter. I don't even think I'm that amazing at, at stuff, but it comes from the soul, and People do respond to things if you've just tried awfully hard and you will lose yourself in that process and you will, f you know, it relieves your stress, it relieves your anxiety, it will build up your confidence, you'll feel engaged. Art therapy is a really serious thing. It will make you feel different and it will make you feel better. But I personally think the addition of colour is very, very important when you're, you know, walking down the street, and nowadays you see more or less everyone dressed in black or grey or 
navy, you know, just boring colours. And the minute you see someone all beautifully dressed in, in some flash of delicious, you know, pink or something, you, you feel more uplifted. Mm. It's so true. And the easy way to do it is just never buy anything boring and black and grey ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've given some really interesting and useful strategies for just everyday life and how we can bring colour and happiness and lift our spirits, which is so important to enabling us to live a fuller, longer, healthier life. Of course, as a clinician, I subscribe to the best medicine, embracing the best scientific discoveries. But one of the purposes of the Art of Healthy Longevity podcast series is to see what else patients and people can do to help themselves feel a little better. And with that in mind, and because this is in conjunction with Homerton Changemakers. What advice do you have for the students as they, you know, they're all locked down. It's it's a very, very hard time and, and they are embracing their courses as best they can. And what advice do you have for them about how art can um, help them in their journeys, not just through university or school, but through life? Well, I think you must look for it everywhere because art you really will find everywhere and then you'll think oh yes you know even in fashion or car design or electronic design there is something to do with it which is artistic and then you'll start looking at it, things in a, in a in a different way you know particularly if you're locked in your student room where ghastly make sure you stare out of the window and see the horizon that is very important but you don't have to go to art galleries and stuff. You can stare out the window and look at the clouds, and that's all an art form. And then, you know, go onto your laptops, look up paintings of any shape and form. You might like Rothko, very abstract work, or you might like Renaissance painting, but just look deeply into it. Look at the background of the stories. It will enhance your life. And the joy, if you give it a go, of um, drawing or painting, you can, you know, listen to music, listen to the radio, chat to your friends. You can do all sorts of things at the same time. It's just very joyful. And all your life, you will probably feel a bit more confident and a bit more connected to the world if you do engage in it. And let's face it, Goodness me, all the wars in the world, everyone's fighting for supremacy. Ultimately, when peace comes again, what do they all do? They look to enhance their lives with artwork. It's true, they do. <laughs> I think it's just terribly important. And the more you you have that in your life, the better. So even if you're poor as a church mice, just tie, you know, tear something out of a magazine, shove it on your wall, and it'll it'll transport you somewhere. I think that's a magical, magical thought and very, very practical advice. And also it, it brings the whole discussion really full circle because one of your favourite paintings, as you told me, was actually called The Circle of Life. And I thought that we could maybe be close out this session, just you telling us what makes that so special and your favourite piece. Um, the Circle of Life. Well, it kind of, well... <laughs> You take me by surprise because I love Icarus. I thought I'd said Icarus is my most favorite painting. But Circle of Life is is extraordinary because it is just rainbow colors. It's every color under the sun I've ever used. 
And you can look at it as if it's the earth, as if it's the roundness of your life, at the circle of, of your family, of meeting people, of you and your work. It just revolves round and round. I don't know. You have to have a, a look at it. It's quite abstract, but there's something for everyone in it. And it looks ravishing. <laughs> yes, I think you said actually it was your most proud piece, not your favourite. I, I do apologise for blindsiding you. That's all right. <laughs> but, it, but it is very uplifting and, and that's what we're trying to achieve with this series. So I really want to thank you so much, Emma, for joining us today. It's been an absolute delight chatting to you and I hope our listeners have had as much fun and tips and insights into the world of art and Emma Rose as I've had today. Bless you, Millicent. Well, come and visit anytime. I'm in Wellow near Bath and the studio is open and I love seeing people and speaking to them and no one has to buy anything, but just come and be inspired and enjoy. That would be great. Well, thank you. I encourage everybody to look you up online and we'll share your details so that people can enjoy your beautiful work. And even if they choose just to look or purchase, the experience is wonderful. So thank you so much, Emma. And I look forward to welcoming you all back next week for a fascinating discussion with um, Mr. Donald Summit, who is a hand surgeon in London. And he's also an artist and he paints people's hands before and after surgery. And he does incredible art work with people who suffer from leprosy in Nepal and has a wonderful charity. So we're really looking forward to welcoming Donald to our next episode of Live Longer, the podcast, The Art of Healthy Longevity. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please feel free to email us at hello at livelongerthepodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.